friends, it's good to be with you this morning, um, mostly because this is Hawaii. Do you guys know that you live in Hawaii? Like, this is, ama this is amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And as someone who lives in California, um, it's just really nice to kind of be able to come here and see just a beautiful, beautiful place. I'm glad to be with you this morning. And as uh, Brian shared with you, we've been friends for a long time. Um, but usually I had a gig on Sunday and so couldn't come. So I've been out of the local church for the last year. Um, my last position that I was in was lead pastor in Costa Mesa, where we had an old building. It was a hundred-year-old building, and uh, the numbers had dwindled down, and we were able to revitalize not just the building space, but also who uh, goes there and who attends there, and it is a vibrant community now. But as you can imagine, doing that, flipping that, burned me out just a little bit. And so uh, I was lucky enough to be able to take some time to become a consultant and also I coach folks. And as he shared, I revitalized spaces. And if you took the time to Google me, I podcast a lot. The current one that is doing really well is one I uh, would say, if you look it up, uh, we've been called Simfluencers, but we're called RevCovery. And we are a podcast for folks who have left ministry for various reasons. So friends, you got a bit of a United Methodist rebel standing in front of you. <laughs> Sinfluencer. I got called a Sinfluencer. I might make a t-shirt. I might sell it here. I feel like you guys would like it. Um, so I grew up in Canada, uh, but I moved to the South. So grew up in Canada, moved to the South, then moved to California. My dad is Canadian and my mom is British. And I'm telling you all of that because standing in front of you, I might use all accents, but I just want to give that as a disclaimer before we start. So let's pray. And then we're going to jump into this super weird scripture that none of you reacted to. All right, let's pray. God, as always, I simply ask this. With the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of us here in this room together and online will be acceptable to you because, God, you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So why this scripture? Well, truthfully, it's because a couple of uh, weeks ago, I was invited to speak in North Carolina, and they're kind of following what's known as electionary. And if you uh, grew up in Methodist spaces or Lutheran spaces or Presbyterian spaces or people who just like the electionary, all that is is a way of us looking at different parts of Scripture so we don't get to, like, cherry pick the ones we want. And so one of the pastors do that. I don't know if you guys know that, but sometimes pastors do that. Uh, and so this is a way for us to sort of move through scripture in three-year sessions. And so we get to this section in Luke at this time of year, and it's a weird section, right? You got, what I love is all of you were like, that makes sense. Yeah. As you hear about Jesus being like, uh, don't worry, you're going to be able to hang out with scorpions and snakes. You guys are like, absolutely, that sounds about right. But the very beginning of this, you might have missed it. It says, after these things, well, what are these things? What has happened right before this? Well, right before this, the group of disciples had been traveling with Jesus, and <laughs> people weren't exactly converting quickly. In fact, some of them were not, like, joining in as quickly as they thought. So the disciples ran up to Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine you're hanging out with, like, the Son of God. And you're like, they're not really buying our message. Do you want us to call into the heavens and ask God to strike them dead? They're asking Jesus, hey, look, they're not really taking what we're selling here. Do you want us to smite them? And what they're hoping for is that Jesus will be like, absolutely, that sounds like a great idea. 
right? The audacity. No one else thinks this is weird to walk up to Jesus and be like, hey, buddy, like, you know that thing you told us to tell people? They're not into it. Should we kill them? They're hoping that Jesus will kind of join in on some retribution. But instead, Jesus says, here's the thing. And we want to listen carefully to this. Those who are not with us are not against us. Now, that's different than what we've heard before, right? You've heard that, like, those who aren't with us are against us. Instead, Jesus says this line that we never talk about very often, which is, just because someone isn't with us in this doesn't mean they're against us. In fact, if they're not actively against us, we assume they're for us. He flips things. Now, you can understand that these people are hoping for a holy war. Do you guys feel like we're in the midst of, I don't know, some turbulent times? I don't know, you guys are in Hawaii, you seem pretty chill. Maybe you haven't noticed uh, there's some divisiveness going on um, on the mainland and oh, I don't know the whole world. Uh, there's all this debating happening, right? There's differences of opinion. There's this thing going on in Ukraine. It feels a little bit like we're in the midst of what could feel like a holy war. And by that, I mean we're all on our different sides and we've got this feeling like we've got the right answer. Don't worry, Jesus. Do you want us to smite them? So this passage is really strange to come upon. I thought we were picking sides, Jesus. I thought we were deciding who was in and out of the kingdom. I thought we were going to overpower power with power. And Jesus instead does a thing that's so annoying, asks a question, and then makes us figure it out ourselves. I always joke that I would hate to go to lunch with Jesus because I'm terrible at selecting places to eat, like I just am. And can you imagine you're like hanging out with Jesus and you're like, hey, where would you like to go to lunch? And Jesus says, where would you think I would like to go to lunch? Right? Like, I feel like that's Jesus. So imagine if you feel even more so where you're on the brink of this holy war. And my friend um, Grace Baldridge says that there are so many praise and rage moments right now. Right? There's so much going on. And I'm going to share with you a little something. I am a type A personality. I am such a type A personality that recently my family discovered that I labeled my label maker. I wish I was kidding. I love organization. I love to know what's going on. I want to know what's next. I am a type A personality. And so I can imagine as I come to all of this, I want to know the answer. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. I want to know what's going to happen. And so I would imagine if I were following Jesus before these times, before this moment, if I were hanging out with Jesus, I would definitely be like, well, what's your plan, bro? Because I like want to make sure I can like put the steps to it. I need a to-do list. What are we doing here? The kingdom of God, unfortunately, doesn't really run on efficiency or this idea that like this is what you need to do. And sometimes this is really hard. So before these things, what has happened is that one group of disciples are like hoping for a holy war and Jesus says, not today. Another group runs up and they're like, hey, I want to follow you. And he gives them like, this is what it's like to follow me. And they're like, that's actually a lot. No, thank you. And they back away. And if I'm honest, my last year 
I lived in that second group. Time for some confession. I shared this actually with the church that I launched last week. Nothing like, <laughs> nothing like telling your church that you like grew. Hey guys, I wasn't really a Christian this last year. I left because not only was I having such burnout, my own spirituality had gotten to a place of like, I don't even know if I'd call myself a Christian anymore. If I'm honest, the reason was I didn't like the way that Christianity looked. Does that make sense? Folks that were proclaiming to be the same as me were doing things that really, really did not feel like the kingdom of God. And the community that we built was so diverse, LGBTQIA. There was just a really diverse racial uh, environment. And so for me, it was so hard to lead a place like this and then feel this sense that so many Christians that were supposed to like understand why this is the kingdom of God were almost actively against us. And so I would walk around after I stopped being what I would call a professional Christian for a little while. And I would, when people would ask me, so are you a Christian? Guys, I would say the funniest things. Like, well, I'm not like a, I walk in the way of Jesus. What does that mean? And I'm like telling people at like Whole Foods, this makes no sense to them. Like I'm having a theological breakdown with some person who just asked me if I go to church. But it was complicated and I wasn't sure. And especially as I was dealing with so many clergy that were burnt out and hurt and destroyed by the thing that they had worked so hard to build. Until this man, Brian McLaren, and if you don't know who he is, he is a holy troublemaker. We call him the granddaddy or grandpa or uncle of deconstructionism. He's the guy who says it's okay to question your faith. And so um, I listened to his book because he was on our podcast. And so I was listening to his book one morning and I was walking my dog. And this book is called Do I Stay Christian? And the first part of the book is all the reasons you shouldn't stay Christian. So you can imagine me as I'm going through all this process, walking around going like, yes, I agree with this. This is great. And then the second half of the book are reasons why you might want to stay Christian. And then the end is, how do you do it? And maybe some of you can relate to that, especially as we hear this story, as we hear this part of the story where Jesus is sending folks out. But the reason that I tell you this is that I recognize that the reason, as I was listening to Brian McLaren's book, that I had a tough time saying I was a Christian really was because I wanted to be part of what's known as the cult of innocence. Part of my type A personality was I wanted to be known as different than those Christians, which really is not helpful if we're honest. Not being something is an identity. And I know that because I'm Canadian and we spend most of our time telling people we're not American. But there are things that make us like believers and Christians and things that maybe I'm not willing to give up. And if I really am an ally, how dare I leave a community that would harm people once I leave? And so, what I recognized that morning is, oh, S-word, I'm still a Christian. And I called my co-host, and he said, I just finished the book, too, and me, too. So we come to this passage, this weird passage, where these people are trying to figure out how they're supposed to, like, go out into the world and spread this thing. And they've got a list of things, much like I had, of, like, what it looks like to be a Christian. And into that, Jesus let 70 or 72 Depending on which Bible you're reading or which translation, it's either 70 or 72. And the reason that that's true is that if you go back to Hebrews manuscripts, there's 70 nations, whereas the Septuagint lists 72. 
So there's a bunch of contradictions here. So don't like start marking out your Bible. Scholars are still trying to figure it out. The whole point though is that even from the very beginning, this idea of 70 or 72 people going out was foreshadowed. Now I want us to notice a couple of things. As we, as people who are trying to figure out what it means to maybe be a Christian in this kind of a world, those of us who are type A, or even if you're not, if you're trying to figure out how to do this thing, notice this, this is an even number, meaning that you are not to go out solo. We can't do this thing alone. One of the things that was most damaging to me in ministry is that I was asked to do it alone. And now what I fight for more than anything is that no pastor ever do it alone, ever. It's so nice to hear how Brian has support here, how people don't allow him to do it alone and don't let him do it because we were never meant to do it. So one of the first things Jesus says is if we're going to live into this, if we're going to not be completely burnt out as we talk about the kingdom of God, we're going to need to not do it alone. Now, also this, we aren't meant to take anything with us. Did you hear that part of the scripture? No purses, that was sad for me, no sandals. Stella's in 100%, no shoes, she's with it. Um, all these different things that we're not supposed to take with us. Now, what is that about? Because Jesus just sent out other people with like things. But it's almost as if Jesus is suggesting that we're not meant to bring our baggage with us. If we are going to go out and try to figure out this kingdom of God thing in the midst of this world that feels very much not like it, we are going to have to leave behind some of the things we've brought with us. Said another way, John Wesley, have you guys heard of that guy? Uh, he said this, take nothing for the journey because you are to nakedly follow a naked Christ. Don't take that literally, guys. Or maybe do, I don't know. The idea is that we are meant to leave our presumptions behind. That's really hard for me. And yet it's the only way that I'm going to be able to experience the peace of the kingdom of God in the midst of a time like this. All right, so don't take anything with us. Travel with other people. And here's the other thing. It said, remain where you are. Recognize that this is it. Peace in a time like this, requires that we're able to say, this is it. it. It requires us to be able to be where we are. Now, sometimes I think it's funny the way the divine works, where I need to experience something so much, and then I end up having to speak about it in different places. So like I shared with you before, I've been kind of playing with the verses all around here for all the different speaking engagements I've had over the last couple of months. So I've been thinking through, like, what is this mean. And in the midst of that, somebody else asked me the question, what's your favorite movie? And my answer is so weird because it's one that most people haven't seen. Has anyone in this room seen the movie Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? Perfect. Yes. All right. Allow me a moment to explain to you why I love this movie. First of all, it's Michael Sarah. I love that guy. He's super weird and funny. It's also kind of one of those standard teenagers trying to figure out who they are in the midst of all this stuff going on. So, and I also love music, and it's all like the best soundtrack, and it's a great band. But if anyone, like, if, don't tell anyone that I told you to watch it because it's not appropriate. But Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. I guess now that I'm not like really a professional Christian, you guys watch what you want to watch. There's this scene 
And this one scene is why this movie is my favorite movie. So go with me, and then I promise you it will come back around to why this taught me the lesson of this is it. Are you ready? So imagine, it's a typical movie, right? So Michael Sarah plays the nerd who's in love with the cheerleader, and they used to date, and you find out he's been making her playlists of music, right? She's kind of only dating him because he's in a band. Guys, every movie is this movie. Okay. Make, so he's been sending her, making her playlist, which to me is a love language. And she, of course, doesn't care because she's, you know, a cheerleader stereotypical in this story. Well, then of course, there's Nora, played by Kat, and I can never remember her last name. She always plays this sort of grumpy character. So she's, of course, the cool girl who actually listens to the playlist. Can you imagine what's going to happen? If you're thinking that somehow Nick and Nora will end up traveling all around the city of New York trying to find this band, there's only there's this band that you could only find out where it's playing. They like send out little like clips and hints, right? So of course they magically run into each other the whole time. He's trying to get back with his cheerleader girlfriend. She's trying to see her jerk boyfriend. And then of course what happens as they're looking for this band? They fall in love, guys. Why? Because we're Americans and we can only handle that, right? Um, you know? So they, of course, like, I'm not giving it away either. We all knew this was going to happen. So they travel around and there's this scene. And of course, it's their friends' stories and it's kind of all coming together and it's really well done. And there's this scene and it's my favorite scene and it's my favorite line from any movie ever. And it taught me this idea. So they're on an escalator. And you realize they're finally getting together. And I'm a romantic. So they're on the escalator. But you can hear the band they've been searching for for the last two hours of the movie playing in the background. And everyone else, all the other main characters, have figured out where this band is. And so they're all watching it. You realize Nick and Nora are going to miss the show. So they're on the escalator. And he's looking at her. And she comes down. And she asks him, she says, are you sad you missed it? And she said, and he says, this line, guys, this is the, I need you to react to this because this is the most romantic line that has ever been written. Ready? So she says, are you sad you missed it? And he says, this is it. Stop it. I have goosebumps and I just said it. This is it. Why does that strike me? Well, it strikes me because commercials and TV and everything convinces us that wherever we are, we should be somewhere else and we should be jealous of everything going on. And so into this story is Jesus is saying, we are to remain where we are. Remain in that house. Remain in some of the situations you're in because this is it. This is it. Be here now. So we are to remain in the places we are. We're also supposed to, are you ready? Surrender the outcome. What do I mean by that? Well, if we're going to experience peace like the kingdom of God, it's never going to be contingent on the people in the house. We are going to believe that peace was already there. What do I mean? Okay. We are to assume whenever you enter, first say peace to this house. 
And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Your assumption is to be that peace will be found there. That's a very different idea than you offering peace, right? Like you're bringing it with you. Instead, listen to the language. Peace is already there. If we are in this time of discontent, how do we believe that peace could be here? Again, we're not supposed to bring our uh, presumptions with us. We're supposed to believe that wherever we are is where we're supposed to be. And then we're supposed to let go of this idea that there's something like that we're supposed to bring with us. We're supposed to believe peace is already there. Now, this is a tricky one for me. It says you're supposed to eat whatever meal is placed before you. So if we're working on this like big analogy of having a meal, right? So a lot of our faith is based around this idea of sharing meals with people, right? And I hear that you guys are doing that as a community, having meals with folks. We're to understand the kingdom of God as sort of this analogy of a meal together. What does it mean that we're supposed to eat what is placed before us? Well, I think that we're invited to a meal and to share in the meal, and we're supposed to leave our preferences at the door. We're supposed to allow the host to choose the meal for us. And we're not supposed to impose our own cultural beliefs is what Jesus was talking about. And I wonder for us sometimes too, Think about this as we think about the places and spaces we find ourselves sharing space and place with people who think differently than us. Remember, I'm type A. The kingdom of God, it feels really messy. It feels like I don't have a lot of control, and maybe that's the whole point. Maybe the invitation, the divine invitation for peace is going to be me letting go. So the invitation is to help people see that the kingdom of God is near. In fact, it even says if you go into a city that rejects this message, you're simply to walk away, but also you're to proclaim that it's okay. God's still here. That's so different than some of the ways that we've been taught we're meant to share the kingdom of God. Now, let's get to this little end part here that I made Brian read because it's so weird. This idea that like, they come back and they're like, Jesus, we are able to do so many miracles in your name. You know, I just love it because I feel like sometimes this is me before God, right? So they come and they're like, say this. And what does Jesus say to them? Don't be excited about that. Be excited because your name is in the role of the kingdom of God. Now, what's fascinating culturally as we look at this is that in order for people's names to be in any kingdom, all they had to do was be born. So every town was registered. You didn't have to do anything. You just were registered in it. Now for me, for someone who works really hard for everything they've ever done, I don't like something that just says all I have to do is be, right? Like I'm sitting again with my to-do list, like, Jesus, look at all the things I'm doing for you. And he's like, I just got news for you. Like, you're already in, dude. And I'm like, awesome. What do I need to do to, like, get in? And he's like, let me remind you again, you're already in. Like, it's already happened, right? And I feel like as I spend time in this section of Luke again and again, I'm reminded that 
the kingdom of God for those of us who are overachievers and trying really hard to like work our way to success, that's not what this thing is about. It's upside down. It's different. It's a place of peace, of surrender, of just allowing ourselves to experience what it is, to think about like this is it. And now this is it. And now this is it. The ability to be like wholly present to what's in front of you. Whoa, that's the kingdom of God. To welcome other people into those spaces, that's the kingdom of God. Yes, we keep working for justice. Yes, we see something beautiful in it. But right here, right now, is it perfect? No, it is not, but it's all we've got. So we sit in it. We experience it. And we welcome others to it. Friends, this is not an easy message for those of us who want to overachieve. And yet, it's the message of Jesus for us. So perhaps you feel overwhelmed by a lot that's going on, and you're not really sure where to find peace. So I thought, I'm going to pray this uh, prayer over you. Anyone who knows me well knows that I have like the weirdest crush on a dead poet named John O'Donohue. Um, he is my favorite poet and so he uh, wrote this blessing for peace, and I'd love to just sort of pray it over you. I want you to think about some situation, whatever it might be. It could be a world situation. It could be like the person sitting next to you that you're having problems with. Wherever, it, don't look at them, though. Don't make this weird. It could be like a family member you're eating with later. Whatever it is, where do you need peace? As the fever of day calms towards twilight, May all that is strained in us come to ease. We pray for all who suffered violence today. May an unexpected serenity surprise them. For those who risk their lives each day for peace, may their hearts glimpse providence at the history, the heart of history. That those who make riches from violence and war might hear in their dreams the cries of the lost that we might see through our fear of each other a new vision to, hear, to heal our fatal attraction to aggression. That those who enjoy the privilege of peace might not forget their tormented brothers and sisters. That the wolf might lay down with the lamb. That our swords be beaten into plowshares and no harm be done anywhere along the holy mountain. Friends, this Today is our prayer for peace. Amen.